So what's going on, man? Not much, man. How you feeling? I'm good, man. I'm good here on this this Sunday evening. Uh, just piecing it all together, man. How about yourself? Can't complain, man. Just over here doing the same, man. Uh, just happy to be able to do this one more time. Yeah. So uh, a few quick questions for you, man. Are you... Um, you have any travel plans for the rest of the year, or are you, you just hunkering in? So, man, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's a lot of traveling that I had planned, the things I wanted to do. Uh, I'm, I'm scaling a lot of that back. I, I still want to do an, over, an overseas, an out-the-country trip, but that's probably going to be scaled back to next year. I am going to start going out to state, though, uh, probably the next couple months and just trying to, you know, see some beaches, get some air, get some water before it gets real cold and, you know, switches everything up on us. But, um, yeah. What about you, man? Oh, so I had a lot of traveling that I was going to do this year, but now I don't have any, but I am. <clears throat> I just looked up like these flights to Vegas. I see a lot of people are able to go to Vegas. A lot of things to do out, outdoors, you know, riding TVs, stuff like that. I don't gamble. So I don't really necessarily want to hit up a casino or anything. But I do, I saw some really cheap flights to Vegas, to Vegas under 200 bucks round man, trip too. That's some really good deals, man. You know, and I got, I got family out there, so that's always tempting. You know, my thing right now, I think I'm just waiting like everybody else, waiting for confirmation that they're getting a better handle on this thing. Um, and that's probably not going to stop me from traveling per se, but I'm, I'm more so in the vein of where can I travel by car as opposed to plane right now. <clears throat> and how can I travel? Exactly. You know? Exactly. You know, like when I'm there, what am I gonna be? Able what am to I do. gonna be doing? Yeah. yeah that man. that's key. My um, one of my good friends, uh, one of my colleagues, he and his family just rented a motorhome for a three day weekend, and I've been wanting to do that, and I think I'm really gonna think about that soon. The next time that my son has some time out of school and think like maybe if we were in a motorhome and just drive to a state park in the Midwest, you know? You know, it's but, funny. That's actually a thought we've entertained over here. Uh, like, man, we got to get like a mobile or RV or something and, you know, go from there because you can live out of it. You just go where you want to go, man. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, but yeah, man, um, what do you want to start, man? What do you want to talk about today? Well, I was reading a good topic from uh, a mutual friend, just a post on the internet that I saw, and it was really about how families, particularly moms, can overstep their boundaries into relationships. And I think it's a very common thing in black homes because a lot of black men have a profound respect for their mothers. Mm -hmm. And I think women respect that, but I think women are challenged by that when they now become the spouse of a person. You know, I think that's a good point. You know, there was a video that went viral a while back this year where a mom was riding in a car in the front seat and a guy was with, uh, I think his, you know, baby's mother. It might've been his wife. I'm not sure. And she was trying to get in the car and the mom was like, you're going to have to get in the back seat. And it became an ugly thing because the mom, you could tell the mom's trying to antagonize her. 
<clears throat> but where it got ugly was, you know, a lot of people were split on who should sit in the front and who shouldn't. And, you know, I think because we have a lot of uh, households in our community that are that are manned by women and women are at the helm, you know, I think it puts a dynamic where men have a lot of respect for their mothers and they want to show that respect by letting their mom have a say in their life. And that's threatening for various reasons to women that want to be wives and mothers as well. But we also aren't talking about the respect that, you know, and the dynamic that it places a lot of men when they really have women they've dated with very active fathers and how they in turn expect unexpectedly maybe or subconsciously expect their mate to provide for them the way their father did. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of the a lot of the issues are very trivial. Right. So like you just talked about front seat, back seat, very trivial. All of it could be nipped in a bow with respect. Here's my perspective on it. Right. I am very close to my mother. I didn't have my father growing up. No secret there. Um, but there's still boundaries that my mother must have in, in my marriage. Right. So my mother doesn't have a say on what we do in our home. At one point, my mother did was very, not necessarily opinionated, but my mom felt like her opinion was to help. So she would say things like, you know, hey, you should try this on your son's skin, right? And as a new mom, that can offend any woman. So it, it did leave things a little tense at times. So, but my mother is never first in my life, right? Yes, yes. She's, she's just my mother. And I think where a lot of us struggle is there's always a place of, of someone feeling slighted. Now, my mother never feels slighted, and I'm not, and I can't speak for my wife and I won't, but I don't think that my wife feels like I put my mother, that I put my mother first. Where I do think in some relationships, that I've that I've seen and I've also felt sometimes is that we we actually put value into what another woman says outside of our wife. And then you brought up an interesting topic about dads because if you're a man and you're a mama's boy, quote unquote, it's viewed negatively. But it's viewed positively if you're a daddy's girl, right? If your dad is in your life as a woman, you're more desirable. If your mom is in your life or impacting your life greatly as a as a man, it's viewed as a little bit, uh, not less than, but it's viewed as a caution. And I want to know where that comes from, why it's like that. And in the black community, isn't it helpful that people are impacted by their parents? Because if we're not as men, if we can't be, if that's a knock on us, I feel like that's going to be a problem going forward in our future marriages because now a man has to tell a woman, hey, don't be so strongly impacting on our son, which I think is not healthy. And, you know, I think you made a lot of good points. I'm going to just tackle like one or two. You know, biblically speaking, if you believe, you know, in the Bible, it says that, you know, once you, you know, marry your wife, that's that's your better half. That's your half of you. So obviously that is the, you know, most important woman and I put important in quotes that that woman is your better half so that woman is first in your life in a lot of things even over your own children is my belief so it's not really a matter of who's more important it's about understanding the importance that that person plays in your life and not you know 
you know, like I was telling my uh, fiance, you know, in a relationship, both people are important. One isn't better than the other. They're both needed and they both have a function, you know, and I think it's the same, you know. Your, your parents, your mother, your father, they can have opinions on what you do, but ultimately it's up to you guys to make it work out. But at the same time, you have to understand that, you know, the intent of your mother is probably not to harm you. And there there's some merits to what can be said. It's a give and take, you know. And I think there has to be a, a conditioning on, on both sides. As men, we have to acknowledge how that may, you know, make our, our spouses feel. And I, but I also think, you know, our, you know, the women in our life have to consider that your dad's job was to take very good care of you. And that's not to say your husband's job isn't to do that as well, but your husband is not your dad. And if you feel as if, you know, you want to be viewed as your, your partner's better half and equal because y'all are equal, then, you know, you have to be sure to look at him in the proper sense and not look at him in the sense of he's your dad who's going to do anything for you because he birthed you. But same time, this person should do anything for you because they're married to you, but that's always what they measure because the nature of the relationship is different. You know, it, it's, it's, I'm so glad you said it because I never had any confrontations with a woman's father or felt like a woman's father overstepped their boundaries. And I always thought it was because what some people may say as arrogant or cocky. I don't think I'm those things. I just understand that what I am, no one else is. Like I'm your husband. So that to me is enough to not have to care about anyone else's role as far as a threat to me. And if I feel some type of way, it's not because this person's relation to you, it's because of a person's action, right? So if, and, and that's what I would like for everybody to understand about like mothers stepping in or fathers stepping in. It's, it's the action. It's not the relationship for a person like me in, in my eyes, but I think we tie it to a relation, a relationship. And where I think a lot of things get lost, especially in our generation, right? Especially in our generation. Like I'm 32. I've been married for eight years. You know, you're, you're engaged, you have a fiance, you're looking to be married, and then you'll be married, have, you know, have a family, however so. Your, your roles towards each other should not be blended with the responsibilities that someone else had over y'all at one time. Like, like you're not taking over for her dad. She's no. not taking over as your mom. And I think a lot of people get confused with that, like, oh, yeah, she raised him, you know, she took care of him, you know, she made sure he was okay, he, he cooked, he, he always had a place that was warm. Now it's my turn, I'm taking over, the, and this is my man. But those two things are, they're not the same, and they should be clear and understood that I'm not replacing somebody, we are creating something new. You know, <clears throat> you said a lot. That last point in particular about making something new is very poignant. Um, before I go into that, this is very random, but I'm going to say rest in peace. 24 years ago, we lost the great legend, Tupac Amaru Shakur. Could not let that go without saying that. But to segue back to what you were saying, you know, me and, uh, me and my fiance now, we've just started um, premarital counseling. We just started having like our first couple sessions and 
you know, I think one of the things that it really showed me is that when you're building something with someone else, it's not like any other relationship they've ever had in their life, even with your parents. You know, my relationship as her potential husband is not the relationship that her dad has. You know, her dad's job was to give her values, to shape her for life. My job is to accept some of how she's been raised and help make her life better and vice versa. But my job is not to be, you know, her dad and just, you know, give her things the way, you know, I would do for my child. You know, so it's, it's just important. And I, I think also we need to say we've got to get over the conditioning, you know, black men and black women of looking at, you know, relationships with parents as disparaging. Like we got to stop, you know, if a guy is close to his his mom, that's a good thing. You know, the nature of anything, anything in excess is bad. If anybody's too close to their parent, that's a bad thing. If anybody's too close to their mate there, that's a bad thing. It's all about balance. But, you know, there's a we have a stigma in our thing of men being close to their moms and being, you know, controlled by that. But it's the same on any side. If a woman is very close to her dad, if if a, if two people aren't close enough to each other, rather, then anything and anybody else outside of it can cause issues for their relationships. What's about just learning that balance? I, I often want to know, and yes, uh, rest in peace to Pac is what you know we most know him as. But what what I want to know, and it's not because I want to compare or think one is better than the other, but I wonder about cultural differences, right? So I wonder how it is in other cultures if the close-knit family relationships are viewed as potentially a problem versus, oh, this is how it should be. This is how families are built to last long, right? And I know we're supposed to, you know, separate from our families and cling to each other and move forward. I'm, I didn't speak the the spirit, the, the scripture, correct, but I'm sure you guys follow me. But I think there's a a dynamic that is lost in our generation now because we are no longer marrying each other and each other's family. A lot of us are in marriages where it's just us. And we, not knowingly, we've isolated our marriages. Yes. I think of my mother... Is, has not been with my father since I was two, right? I'm, I'm 32, so 30 years. But my my father's sister, my aunt, and my mother are super close. And my father, um, I'll just be transparent here, my father is not a fan of either woman, right? His sister or his ex-wife, which is my mother. But that didn't deteriorate their relationship. And I wonder how we, why is it the opposite today where Everything is contingent. Yes, I'm married to you and I'm close with your family and you're close with mine. But if anything happens to us, all of that goes out the window. It's all contingent on how well we are. And I learned that in my personal life. And it's, I'm okay with it now, but I wonder when it got like that and why is it like that? You know, that's a good question. I know, you know, my parents' uh, situation, they're married. They were, you know, they've been married this whole time. Uh, you know, gone through their issues. But, you know, I know from the beginning, my my grandmother, my mom's side, was not a fan of my dad. And the the, the degree of help that she was going to offer 
as a result of that was minimal. And my dad kind of thought was, I really don't need that side of the family to accept me, you know, and that was kind of how he operated. And, you know, I don't, you know, I think to a degree, I think I, I at times internalized part of that, but I think where I've gotten now is, you know, when you marry someone, you're marrying their family as well, you know, and you have to keep that in mind that you're going to need them in some capacity. And even if you don't need them for the sake of that marriage, your the other partner is going to need them. And sometimes they're going to need you to at least be in good footing. And we have to realize that, you know, black families have always been built on, you know, the melding of families coming together and helping each other out and filling in the gap because that's how kids get raised by the village. It takes a village. So, you know, I think we have a lot of ways and I I think this ties to the basic. We have a lot of values and we say we have culture, but there are a lot of things that we haven't really assessed and changed. We just say that that's what we do and that's just not going to work going forward. It is. And, you know, I think about my sons, right? Like I grew up with my grandmother on both sides. Um, I lost my grandfather on my father's side when I was nine, right? Like the, I remember it was spring of 98. So uh, for me, I grew up with a lot of family around my cousins. We were very close. Not everyone is involved like that, right? So when you marry and you get into relationships and you marry people from different cultures, different backgrounds, it's not that it's not important to them, but they just weren't exposed to that, right? So you blend that, you try to learn that. And I think about my sons, like I want my sons to be well-rounded and have family on not just my side or my wife's side, but even like my great aunts and great uncles on both sides, the same thing, you know, on the other side. And you're right, it takes so much to have a, a healthy family and not just raised by the village, but just to learn and, and to, to, to identify who you are, right? Because you grow up and you, you learn so much through school and through life, but how you identify with yourself starts with, you know, how you see the people who brought you up. And that's why I think it's, it's healthy that we find ways to not be so tense about the relationships that each person has with their particular family. You know, I think it's really important to address that. You know, and I'm going to say this. I think, you know, it's important. The the most important thing you can do for a child before they go out into the world is make sure they have a firm understanding of who they are. And that comes from family, you know, and even if it's small things of this is what my family does and I take pride in it or these are things that my family see in me that, you know, your family is supposed to be the foundation of, you know, establishing you for the world. So I think we have to go back to, you know, blended families going together and and really giving our kids, you know, certain values. You know, I think just for the, like I said, for this new generation in particular, that's one of the things that we just got to make a stand on, on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I like how you put that. Uh, so I, you know, not to get too deep into each other's personal lives, but I do have, you know, just a question for you and try to get a little bit of an understanding about you. When it comes to outside of your mom and dad, are you, how close are you to like cousins, aunts, uncles, things of that nature? 
You know, that's a really good question. Um, I'll be honest, my mom's side of the family, because they're here. You know, I would say when I was younger, I was a lot closer. As I've gotten older, less closer, and I've gotten more closer with my dad's side. My dad's side of the family, they're all up north. They're in like Philadelphia, Delaware, New Jersey, that whole area. Um, and I'll say my cousins on, you know, my dad's side, I'm pretty close with them. And I've been working, you know, to, to, you know, build closer bonds. But I also think that's probably one of the unfortunate casualties. Like when you grow up and you don't establish those roots, then you kind of learn to do without them. You know, and I think where I've gotten as I've gotten older is I've realized there's importance. Like, you know, I have an older cousin who, who lives out in Delaware and I, you know, I try to rap with him, you know, at least once or twice a month just to make sure he's fine. I got an older cousin in Miami and I just try to check in on him and check in on some of my older cousins. So I work on it, uh, but I will say, you know, because it was not a priority, it made it hard to, you know, really do. My my, my younger cousin, who's my same age as my brother, we're, we're pretty close. We're pretty close because we grew up together. But once he moved to California, that kind of, you know, I became a very, my immediate family, my immediate family. But as I've gotten older, I just realized, you know, that's not how you're going to be able to sustain anything with just closing yourself off to people. Yeah. And I, I wish that I was as level-headed as you when I was getting married and when I was having children, because you already know the blueprint on what you want. And you're going to, you're, you're going to share that with your fiance and help create something very specific for your family and children, not specifically your way, but something together. Um, what I was, what, what, what brought me to, I was thinking about you when I was reading something, uh, an article today. Um, and then I was also looking at the bookshelf. My wife did our bookshelf in our fireplace recently and it looks really nice. And your book is up there, oh, man. right? Um, your book is up there. And, I think about the transition of, I think about what we spoke about last episode about having people being able to grow. And I think about everything that we talk about here and I think about what was in your, your, uh, your first series of love and then uh, the, the current book, the, the most recent book. And it's like, this is a prime example of somebody who, who is one way, experienced things another way, transitioned to be a different way and now he is who he is today and still has room to grow and very self-aware man and i i encourage everyone to like pick up those books read the books and even if you don't read the full book because i'm not the hugest reader but if you could just read about sam if you could just read a little bit of the book and then get to know you it's like that's what i mean by growth you weren't perfect and you and you you wrote about your imperfection you know um, you know in the growth I appreciate you mentioning that because, you know, that was something I was thinking about. But I, I just want to say to that, a lot of times I think what people, you know, when I when I wrote the book, my goal was to, you know, I was feeling a lot of, you know, guilt about some of the things I did. And some of it was necessary to understand what I understand now. But I think the thing people have to understand is you can do something, you know, too often a lot of people would tell me you were you weren't being yourself. Who I am is not a fixed, you know, person, just like who you are isn't a fixed person. We all have extensions of ourselves. We do things that are all reflections of ourselves, good and bad. And that is who you are. 
that may be who you are at that stage in life. And we just have to learn to accept that people aren't always who we think they are. We have a picture of who we want people to be, but people are who they are. You know, and I, I say that just to say, you know, me, me now, that's always the person I've kind of wanted to be. But like you said, there's more growth. And, you know, even now with the relationship I'm in now, it's it's more healthy than my previous relationships were. But I still have a lot of things that I have to work through and unlearn from from past situations. But we have to give men the room to grow. We have to understand that no man is completely emotionally mature, just like any woman is completely emotionally mature. People have extensions in themselves. People have trauma and things that they're unlearning. And it's not a you get it to a certain age and everything works out. These are life journeys that may not be solved in one lifetime, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's so much, man, because I'm, you, you know, you speak of having a fiance and I've had the pleasure of, of meeting your fiance, of course. Um, you know, we had a great time. All, she all she got much family. love for you, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I think about, I think about, I think about what it is to see black people be together, even in, you know, when you're in a relationship, you have your ups and downs, you have your growth, you see different things. And it's, it's really good to see. And sometimes I am kind of like, kind of like what's, what's kind of using the word of, of, of your show jaded, right? Like sometimes you can be in a, in a relationship or a marriage and you can become so, enamored with everything going on in your personal life where you can't see the actual good in something. So when you see someone else getting engaged or getting married, you think, oh boy, they know what they're getting themselves <laughs> man, into. Right? Man. And so, so, and I had to take a step back because, you know, even in my life with the ups and downs that I had, I'm still very thankful that, you know, I have the wife that I have. I'm very thankful that I have the family I have, the, the life that I was you know, blessed to have. And I, I think that's something that we all need to do, uh, specifically about black men, right? We need to be able to identify how we are blessed, even in like our hardships. And I don't want to sound too like churchy or too spiritual, but just a lot going on, everything in life, you know, whether it's somebody on the streets trying to kill us, whether our jobs is fearful of us, or we're always walking on eggshells, it's everything that's going on. We can still find ways to be thankful and and see that other people are making this transition. And I don't want to make this specifically about you because you're engaged now, but you, you said something earlier about you guys started your uh, the first step of like premarital counseling. And I think that's so big because a lot of us don't do counseling on any level. We right? don't. And not man. just marital, but just mental health you know, premarital counseling, self-counseling, even I think, I think it would be beneficial for like peers, like friends to continuously develop better friendships by, by seeking help in, in their lives. Man. And, you know, before we get to that point, first, I want to say, you know, it's important to commend you on the growth, you know, since we really gotten close and talked with each other, it's been a lot of growth on your part. And you've shown me a lot of things about, you know, just learning as a husband what things are important to make 
a stand on, what things are important to understand. You cannot always affect what things you need to learn to accept. And, you know, when I was going through my growth, you helped me a lot through it. So, you know, we need to say commending you on the growth and you being a good dad, man. That just ain't praised enough. But on a, you know, on a separate note, man, um, I think people, I think, you know, the, the buzzword of the year has been, you know, you know, you know, getting the, doing the work and getting help and talking to a therapist. And what you really find when you do all of these things is that they tell you that you're going to continually see things about yourself. And once you become aware of it and works through it, that's when you make growth. But people think it's okay. Book the therapist, talk to him six times. All right, I'm good. I'm healed. I did the work. Bro insists it's, it's a life journey. And my, my sis, just because you went to a therapist doesn't mean that you're not going to do what you've been doing. Doesn't mean that you've healed from the trauma you had and doesn't mean that it's not going to take some years for you to get there. So that's just important to say. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the, the, the kind words and the great words. One of the things that, you know, I'm just struggling with myself and, you know, just full transparency here is identifying how much care should I give something, right? Because I'm one of those people where if I care, I'm going to be full on with it, or I'm just going to disengage. And I'm trying to find a medium because I'm very black and white and disengaged. And I think that's something that I, I talk to a therapist, like, I, you know, I, I, I try to figure that out. That's something that we talk about. And it's a, it's a, going through this therapist is really interesting because it's not like therapy it's not like counseling i think that's why i like it and this is going to turn some people off but i i feel the need to say it i don't pursue guidance from religious based organizations no i hear that i hear but that. that's not because i devalue them it's because i am i believe in science more than i believe in personal wisdom so to me, when I talk to somebody and, you know, both are great. I have a, I have a coworker, I have a coworker, she's great. You know, she would leave spiritual scriptures on my desk. She would, uh, I would see her and she would say, hey, read this or think about this. Perfectly fine. And it's not that I wasn't fulfilled, but it was a very personal thing and not a science fact-based thing that I can take and build on and that's that's why I recommended that's why I recommend to people that I speak to is to find what works best for you but I always stress the fact that sometimes religious based uh, practices are not science-based or fact-based their experience wisdom based which is not bad but that can not that's for a person that's not for the problem you know and i think it's important to say you can say you can praise science without it seeming like you're i'm not saying you are but people can understand i can praise science and not bash religion and i can you know praise science and still see the value of religion you know but i think people have to understand and I think this is going to be with love. That's another combo for another day. But the objection of spirituality and, re and religion is to take the 
spiritual and abstract and put it into a concrete application. When all you believe in is the abstract and you don't make the application, you're missing the fullness of what it is. If if the scripture says one thing, but you cannot take it and apply it into a, con- a current text, you're missing its application. And not everything is how you interpret it as well. But that's convo for another day. But I say that just to say, you know, talking to a therapist or sometimes talking to a psychiatrist and all those things, there's there's nothing wrong with that. We have to, you know, we have to make that a a normal thing. And we also just have to understand not everybody's situation is everybody's situation. And you can want to help somebody, but sometimes the best thing to do to want to help somebody is to pray for them and to stay out of it. You know, because to piggyback off what you're saying, I've struggled with that, too, because I live in a space of either I really care about it or I don't care about it at all. I... I, I, as a man, I need to really share an experience like with other men in reference to that, right? Like, I, 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 I know you, Sam. I know you well enough to know that that is part of you, right? But one thing about, one thing about men, we don't really talk in depth too much about like our personal relationships, right? Like, I could tell you, yeah, man, you know, yeah, man, my wife, man, you know, she loves shopping. Right. And we'll just laugh at that. And we both know that we both know what we're saying. Right. But I would but we don't go into details to say, hey, listen, my wife doesn't respect the value of a dollar in reference to what we can do with it in the future, because what she wants to do right now is X, Y, Z. And this is all hypothetical. Right. And because we don't go into the deepness of that, sometimes we don't we don't get the right type of conversation or the right type of type of help with it. But with a therapist, you kind of, you kind of can, you can open up, right? You could just yes. you could kind of go, you can kind of go there or you can go there and they don't know your spouse, right? Yes. Like you, you know, my wife, right? I know your, I know your fiance. Yes, so you do. <laughs> uh, there's, it, yeah, there's a second thought there that's like, Hey, I don't want this person all in my business or looking at them. Um, you know, so the, the, the hot and cold, I think, comes from that where it's like either I care or I don't care. It's because are we even in the space to care properly? Because I can't go too far with my care because then it might hurt my marriage. So I might as well just, you know, take my hands off of it and, you know, circle back to it in a different way or a different light. Um, I, I, I That is just something that I really, really, really want to get better at. And sometimes I'll just be honest with you, man. Sometimes I talk to you and sometimes I read some of the things you write and it helps me because it's like, man, Sam gets it, man. Sam gets it. He's not going to indulge in anything that doesn't bring you. It's not worth it. But sometimes it is that we still don't go down that road and we should. And, you know, man, I think, you know, for me, writing is the I'm not even going to say the safest. It's the freest way to say it. But, you know, I think what people don't understand you know, and they hear it a lot, but it's the truth is just that because of how socially how society is set up, there are certain dynamics that will not allow men to to do things without consequences. So there's only so much, you know, stuff you can complain about, even to men that's going to be accepted, unfortunately. And there's only so many things that you got that, you know, you're not going to hear older married men tell you is a part of marriage that you got to accept. You know, and so 
you know, what I do when I write is I just try to present it and I don't try to, you know, I'm just trying to get you to see, hey, there's this is how people possibly view the situation. And we can be respectful about how you guys were made. And when I say you, I mean women, how women are different than men. But just understand that, you know, on the other side of it, men have feelings and things that they do, you know, struggle with, but they just know what the responsibilities are. So you just can't even address that, you know, and that's, you know, jaded gems was like, look, man, I'd be jaded just like anybody else. We You go through bad relationships or your relationships are good, but they're challenging. But what you learn is just when it's not the right person, then, of course, it's going to be difficult. And even when it's the right person, it's still going to be difficult, but it, it's going to be manageable, you know? Yeah, and that's the that's the best part is manageable, man. And that, that hit home to me because, you know, you never feel, well, some people do, so I don't want to sound dismissive, but in all of the struggles of life in different relationships you have, whether it's friendship, you know, with your parents, with your spouse or whatever, the goal is, the desire is never to quit. The desire is how do I get this to be different? And sometimes things are so clouded that that the option that appears is well, just end it, right? And he, and I and I and I mean that emotionally. Like there's times where uh, there's time, there's times that I, I'll give you a brief example. Uh, about three months ago, um, and I'm gonna pronounce his name wrong, so bear with me. Ahmad Arbery. Yes, I'm out already. Yeah, the case down in Georgia. Me, myself, had a big disagreement with some peers. And I was trying to explain that how these are people that I actually care about. These are, you know, people I care about, black women that I care about, black women and black men that I care about. Um, And I was trying to explain to them, hey, one of the issues that we have in our community, why some of these things continue to take place and where people feel comfortable is because the lack of organization and the lack of understanding that everybody must play a equal role. I, was, I wasn't encouraging people to go out and do anything violent or anything nonsense. I was just saying that, you know, if you have five people in a group and one person is a lawyer and another person is a basketball player, another person is a dentist, and then somebody else there is, uh, just, just a, 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 who, who doesn't have any of those titles. Doesn't mean that one is more important than the other, but it means that if someone was to be impacted and needed help from the others, the people who are in positions that are a little bit older and more established may be able to reach back and help somebody else. If my little cousin is out protesting and commits a crime, I'm in a position to reach back and help financially, either with law, with finances, and things like that. And where organization comes into play is we all can't do the same thing. And it's not, oh, I'm sending this person out to do something violent that I'm not willing to do. It's just how structure works. Now, that's the that's that's how the story was. But where my problem came in is where I got hot and cold, whether I care or not, is people, dis- not people disagreeing, but people openly acting as if these things aren't real. Mm. And so now there's a disconnect to where I feel as if, okay, now you're just trying to not dismiss what I'm saying, but act as if these things aren't real to protect your own narrative. So even with people I love, it's like, oh, I just disconnect. 
all right, I won't even talk to you anymore. And that's not how life should be. There should be an opportunity for us to continue the dialogue without it becoming so Man. cold and off. And you and you made some good points. Um, let me see, where do I start? So I'm going to be honest. I remember, and, I, and I'm like, you're going to keep hearing me mention him. David Banner really addressed that, and a lot of other people have too. But you need the wisdom of the elders and the strength of the youth. And part of the problem, like you're saying, in regards to organization is when things happen, they happen in like individual pockets because we don't really have strong communities. And the response is usually, you know, that's not me being mean, but protesting is not that protesting isn't effective. It's just that. When people mimic the movements of the past, they protested and they introduced things with it. Yes, they protested, followed by economic boycott. Yes, they protested, followed by putting pressure and forcing meetings. So the organization is key. And when you have young people out here on the front lines, our job as older people, we may not be able to go out there on the front lines with them. We may have families and things to give. But if I'm not, you're 19 and you go out there and give your life for something that's going to help me then it's my job to, like, if one of my students were to go out there, it's my job to say, how can I get him some legal counsel? You know, how can I make sure that he's being protected or make sure I give him the right information so that he knows what to consider, give him tactics? That's what I, that's what you were referencing. And, you know, I also want to add what people have to understand, and I keep saying it, just because, and, I, and I'm going to say this to our college friends, your degree, your education, who you know does not protect you from racism because it's institutional. You must institutional means that the system needs a underclass. It needs a class to vilify and attack. It does not matter that I go to college or that I have a degree or two degrees. It doesn't matter that I'm not deemed quote unquote criminal. It means that because I'm in a position of power, the abuser of an officer or someone else, I can do this to you. And that's what the fight is against. You know, with Amar Arbor, it's about I feel as if I can arrest you. I feel as if I can shoot you. I feel as if I can do this just because I said so, because I'm, you know, not black. And so what we have to understand is, you know, what you were saying, I get it. You were just basically saying, look, man, I'm not saying that someone should do something violent, but I'm saying that other communities have organized consequences for when things happen and it's out of order. And part of what we have to acknowledge is that it's not per se that you all of one thing is never a good thing. You can't have an anarchist society where we just destroy everything, but you can't have a society where we're unafraid to make things difficult for people, however that sounds. Now, at the same time, I always believe in never encouraging people to do things I wouldn't personally do. But I also understand everybody's not me. And if that's how somebody chooses to respond and, if, and I think it's going to better out my cause, you, you need that. You know, people want to make it seem like all the you know, I'm going to say this point. And I'm going to leave it at that. Martin Luther King was in Chicago with the vice lords. All the great leaders knew that you had to have some gangsters with you. And that's important. That's all I'm going to say. I, I, listen, you don't have to explain it to me because I've been studying over the past, which may sound like a long time, but over like the this, past This year has been a past year, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was, I don't know if you remember, uh, before I get into it, it's about the Black Panther Party, about CBS or you know, PBS dropping that documentary a few years ago. Um, but 
my father said something to me, and again, I'm not close to my father, but we do chat here and there, right? You know, and, and we do chat here and there. So I said to him, you know, you know, the higher you go, the more access you have, the more education you have, people believe that racism impacts you less. And he said, you know, I hope you never believe that because it's not true. What education gives you is the opportunity to see it better. Mm. And he said it to me about two, three weeks ago, and I've been thinking about that for the longest. And then it's been tied into that PBS, that PBS documentary on the Black Panther Party where they had so much access to knowledge and awareness because everything was in. And then that's how they was able to see so much of it. And, and I'm not, again, I don't advocate, I'm not saying people need organized crime in this world. That's not what I'm saying. But and exactly what you said is what I was, what my sentiment was, is that for every action, there needs to be a reaction of some form of consequence. It doesn't have to be violent, but there has to be, it has to be action-based. And that's why when people are going to hear this and think that, oh, Eric is just a big Jay-Z fan. But when Jay-Z said, okay, we're past kneeling, I mm. think the verbiage was very poor. But what I think he was attempting to say, and I can't speak for him, but this is what I took from it was, okay, we are going to kneel, but we also have to do something more. We can't stop there. Yes. And, and, and here we are four years later from the first nil, I believe it's four years, it's 2016. Yeah, it's been about four years now. Uh, yeah, here we are where the kneeling has been disguised with so many other things. Where not saying we didn't move, where we didn't take kneeling and then add it to something else, because I don't want to dismiss anyone's efforts. But I think where some of the light went out from the kneeling is because we felt like kneeling was the focal point and we need to stay here. And there's things that need to continue to progress. Like you said, listen, we didn't like this, so we got meetings, right? There were, you know, the bus situation, we boycott economic, we, we, there was, it was a lot more action based behind the protest of something. And, and that doesn't diminish the protest. The protest is very important, but there has to be something more to it. There has to be consequences that follow these things. And for those who are going to sit back and say, Eric, what are you doing? I don't have all the answers. I don't think anyone's effort on anyone is doing is any less than anything. It's, you know, it's very important. And, you know, I just want to say to that, to people who always ask, what are you doing? The reality of the situation is in a in a real sense speaking on the issue and bringing awareness to it is a part of the prop uh, part of the solution donating money to it is a part of the solution educating people on things is a part of the solution writing about things is a part of the solution everything is a part of the movement if it's about making your situation better and who are we to judge the degree to which people give you know and i but i also say to that you know this past week, there's been a lot of hoopla in Georgia because, you know, Killer Mike went and met with Governor Kemp. And, you know, on one hand, my, my spidey sense was like, oh, dang, bro, this isn't good. But as I'm as I'm getting older, the I think where I stand with it now is on a certain level, 
what really do you expect people to do if there's some talking about changing things other than sitting and talking with people about changing things? Yes, Martin Luther King met, you know, he marched, but he met with, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson. <laughs> like you're going to meet with the president. You're going to meet with people to pass legislation. You're going to express the concerns of people. And, you know, I think what we have to understand with all those movements, we remember them because they took action. And we got to also remember that they were criticized as well. And people felt like they should have done more. But if you're really doing things, you don't have time to talk about what people are doing. You're you know, if you're not a, if you're a practitioner, you're not just talking theory. You're actually doing things. And so, brother, if you you know how you're solving the cause, even if it's just raising a healthy family, that's enough. That's all that needs to be done. I I just think that everybody's efforts are valuable. Everybody's efforts are needed no matter what they are. And like I said to you, how you express that is more important than than anything. And sometimes we misspeak. Sometimes we, we do things that we shouldn't do. What really, and, I, and what I really want to say here is there's been a point in my life where I have attacked peoples who are different from me in, in ways that I shouldn't have, right? Like you and I have talked off off air about how we both feel about Kanye West, right? Yes, yes, we have. I wanna use I wanna use him specifically. Nah, that's all good. And and, and, and Killer Mike. Yes. Right? So I don't have to agree with Kanye West tactics to say, oh, he has value. Exactly. And I don't need to sit up with other people and waste time diminishing what another person is doing. Now, granted, if he's doing, if a person is doing something that I think is counter, I think it can be addressed. Do I? I don't necessarily want to get too much into the whole Kanye West running for president because I don't necessarily know the facts behind it, and I that I just don't want to waste time there. Exactly. This killer Mike. This Killer Mike thing is intriguing to me because although I think Mayor Kemp is a... No, that's the gov- this is Governor the, Kemp. Yeah, this is Governor Kemp. Oh, yeah. yeah no, it's, it's, all governor, good, excuse me, no, it's all good. It's all good. Because I think Governor Kemp is a tool for the current administration in, in Washington. Precisely. I don't, I don't know how much productivity is coming out of this more than a photo op. Precisely. But I will say this. I don't want to sit back and say that a man went there to discuss nothing. I think even if you went there, expressed what you felt, and the governor is just going to take it and dismiss it, I don't think your efforts are pointless. And I don't think you're a traitor because you're meeting with what we would consider to be the enemy of of progressiveness. And I want to say this because people say things without understanding true history. Yeah, we don't like Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan passed the King Bill and he saved Meharry College. Your enemies or the people that you don't like can still help you if you can learn to negotiate with them. Now, that's not to say that's not to say I agree with people, you know, allowing themselves to be used as props and tools, you know, and, you know, like, what example, Kanye West, I'm not going to get deep into it. I don't agree with him running for president and I'm a, I agree with him on a lot of controversial things. I don't agree with the decision. I don't agree with his affiliation with, you know, President Trump, but I'm not going to act like there haven't been parts of it that, you know, of his relationship that have been advantageous to other people. 
like ASAP Rocky, like Alice Johnson. I'm not going to act like even though it was for political means, they didn't pass a criminal reform bill. I'm not going to act like Republicans in Georgia haven't been decreasing the imprisonment rate for different reasons. I'm just going to say at the end of the day, I could talk about what Kanye's doing. I could talk about what T.I.'s doing. I could talk about what Killer Mike's doing. But then I have to ask myself, what am I doing? Am I playing my part or am I just being negative to be negative? Or do I like just to hear myself talk? Or do I like to just talk about how much I know? What are you doing to be a factor? And if you are working to be a factor, are you working that hard? Because if you are, you don't have time to worry and question the impact of someone else. If I know that there are good and bad forces, all I can focus on is being a good force. If I keep focusing on the negative force, I'm taking away time I could be a good force. You know, and, you know, I think the reason why I've, I've always gotten in, into trouble with people is that I always believe in I can disagree with you and still love you, man. I I disagree with people on on issues all the time. It does not change my love for you. I don't feel as if you're an enemy or that you don't have my interest at heart because you've done nothing to suggest that, you know. But I know when I disagree with people, you know, that we've known in different things. It's always taken that way. And I'm just like, look, you should have love for me as a black person if I haven't done anything reprehensible. If I like Kanye West and you feel like because I like his music, you can't associate with me. I respect it. It's just if you're really doing things, though, you you don't even have time to worry about my political views, religious views or social, or you know, all that stuff. All I'm worried about is what are you doing to help black people? You know, and, and, you know, to. To tie it all in and, and you know, to, to wrap this up here, I I really would like for the black community, you know, and I start with myself, is how do I find a, find a way to be the most productive to not tear down another black person, even if we are not on the same page, even if we don't have the same interests, even if we appear to be on the other, to, on the opposite ends of the spectrum. That that's my first that's my first main goal. And my second one is to identify like the importance of family, and how can we address family not being considered a burden when we are looking at each other. How why, why you know those those two things is really important to me, and that's where I am, man. And 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 it's a lot going on in the world, and I don't think we have enough time to focus no, on. No, we don't. The, these split differences when at the end of the day, I can love you through all of this. We don't have to agree to be able to help and build with each other. Exactly. We don't have to. And man, I'm going to just say this, you know, the nature of people is to see two of the same, to see the same thing, two different ways. I don't want anybody to see the world exactly how I see it. I just want you to consider that there could be another way of looking at it. That's my thing. But, you know, the goal of our, our life is to help people and to understand how, where people are coming from and have empathy for people. And you can't say that you, you know, I'm going to just say this. You can't say you want to be like Christ or you want to be, you know, in the in the image of Prophet Muhammad or any of, you know, any of the people we say. And you don't have empathy for people or you don't work to have empathy for people, even for people who, you know, I say this last part, I don't like what Candace Owens says. There are some things she says that might have some validity. I don't hate her as a human being. I hate what she stands for. 
but I don't want anything bad to happen to her. That also doesn't mean I need to ally myself with her either. That doesn't mean I will allow her to harm me, you know, with her rhetoric. But that doesn't also mean that I have to, you know, wish death or negative things upon her. I could just say, yo, she's doing what she feels she needs to do for herself. I pray for her and I move forward. And I don't even need to give that airspace, a, you know, time in my head. We've got to learn to to disagree with where people stand and let it go. If you if you wouldn't talk about Kanye, it, he wouldn't do these things. But when you talk about him or you talk about Candace, it empowers them to say more outlandish things. If you just say word, I agree and, and don't like it or remove it from your timeline or do what you do, you'll be fine. You'll learn more about. Yeah, I agree. When uh, oh, I'm, oh, I'm learning already. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning already, brother. <laughs> so, man, it, it's been great, man. It's been great to catch up here. Um, you know, we'll continue this on. We'll continue to talk more and more. Uh, and also, um, you know, soon I hope that we are in a position to have some people to, you know, share their thoughts with us. Man. Um, I know it's our space, but I'm not afraid to share some of our space. That's true, man. And, I, you know, people that, you know, to the people that know us, you know, if you'd like to, you know, we're more than open to it. I know we, we're we not the only voices in the world and we don't, you know, always see things. And if something we said, you know, sparked something in you, please share with us, you know. And, um, man, going into this upcoming week, just stay safe, man. Guard your mental health, you know, guard your family, take care of yourself. And I'm going to try to do the same, man. All right, man, you have a great night. Everybody enjoy this uh, on your way to work. Uh, enjoy this at work. I know a lot of us are working at home. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Uh, when I see you guys in passing on the great social media, you guys have a great work week. You guys take care. Till next week.